Time for another edition of the Fast Podcast where, well, there is no running theme. We do a little bit of everything. Sometimes we reminisce. Sometimes we talk sports. Could be music. And today we we combine a couple of thoughts here. And I have a very special guest, a a longtime friend and a a friend of anybody who ever had a cold beer at a bar in Lafayette probably knows (laughs) this guy. And I don't mean that as an insult. That's a positive thing. Uh, our, our very good friend George Favalora is on the line, and of course George has been part of the, the the nightlife scene in Lafayette. First as a as somebody who was out having fun, but for a long time from the business side of it. And we're going to kind of go through going out in Lafayette. George, thanks so much for taking a few minutes to visit today. Oh, my pleasure, Pat. This is this is great. I'm, I look forward to talking about this. So. You know, I I grew up here and and chose to go to to USL because nobody else chose for me to go anywhere else. So I was, USL chose me, I think. But but growing up in Acadiana and having older siblings and hearing about you know how much fun it was and the strip and this bar and that bar and Judge Roy Beans and Lafonda and like hearing all this stuff as a high school kid in New Iberia, I'm like, I oh, mean, I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to get there. And then I I start hearing this rumor. And maybe you can confirm it, or maybe you can shoot it down. That somewhere in that window of late seventies, early eighties, Playboy magazine said that Lafayette slash USL was a top ten college party city in the United States. Do you do you know if that is factual, or is that just an urban legend? Well, I I don't know because I heard the rumor several times, and you know I probably looked at a few Playboys trying to find it, but I never. <laughs> yeah, me <could> too. Find it. <laughs> You know, because uh, we we read the articles, of course. Uh, but uh, I I heard the same rumors. There was other other rumors that uh, you know the Doobie Brothers just showed up one afternoon on Mardi Gras and played at the keg, and never could confer- confirm that. But yes, that's uh, that's kind of a legend that uh, maybe a few people can uh, maybe you know there's some sites out there that. Uh, can confirm stuff like that so I, i'm not sure i dug around a little bit and i couldn't find it but but it even if it's not true it sure as hell felt like it <laughs> yeah, it sure did and we we lived up to the rumor yeah we, so, we, we wanted to be top five so we worked real hard to try to crack the top five but it was uh you, so when did you get start college was that 81 yes actually i graduated from high school in uh, may of 81 so i started college and uh the fall of 81 or August of 81. And I know you and, never set foot in a bar before you were 18, I'm sure. Uh, of course not. No, actually, uh, there's a funny story out there that uh, uh, I was actually uh, in the keg when I was uh, 17, and uh, they, were, they, they started the process of a raid, and uh, the DJ at the keg, uh, who we still friends and we still laugh about the whole thing, a guy by the name of Jimmy King, um, he was the DJ, and he hit me in the DJ booth. So, um, <laughs> in, uh, myself and Dwayne Daly, uh, you might know uh, that Dwayne's a pretty uh, uh, focal picture here around the mm-hmm. Lafayette area. And so him and I were 17 and uh, trying to be cool in the keg back. That was probably 79 or something like that. And, uh, yeah, Jimmy King, the DJ, hit us in the DJ booth right by the amps and everything. And so uh, we never got caught. You know, the value of a DJ is always underappreciated. Maybe that's why you and I have been friends for so long. You're like, man, the DJ's the good guy. Are you kidding? <laughs> always. Always. Everybody wanted to know the DJ. Actually, well, I think there's a song about that. Yeah, I'm yeah. with the DJ. I think there's a couple of them. And and, and your, your college bar career 
did it start at the keg? Is that how you kind of got into the whole business? And what was it like at that time? Actually, uh, no, I started at, uh, God, and, and it was out on, uh, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, they, they need, they were shorthanded and they needed someone to check IDs at the door. I'm drawing a blank on the name right now. Um, and then, uh, it, it was out on, uh, you know, on the way to St. Martinville. And so, uh, it, then what happened, it was so busy, they needed a bartender. So I jumped back there and started bartending and, but actually, before that, my first bartending uh, position was uh, actually at Randall's Seafood Restaurant. Rand, uh, Frank Randall had needed a DJ and, I mean, needed a bartender. And actually, I happened to be there eating with my brother. And I said, I can do that. I mean, there was only two beers on tap. There was uh, Miller Lite and Michelob. So it was so, pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, there was no bottled beer, no canned beer, no nothing. It was just Miller Lite and Michelob on tap. So you, you break in, well, that was a good natural process to go from doing a restaurant with two taps to I'm going to be a, a, you know, maybe a bouncer security, and then you start bartending there. Then somehow you find your way into like the hotbed of activity near USL. What what, what brought you to the, to the strip? Yeah, actually uh, what happened was um, when I was a junior in college, and I had bounced around just doing bartending shifts here and there, but... Uh, a friend of mine uh, by the name of Eustace Corrigan was working for the Keg Incorporated, and the Keg was not doing too well at the mm-hmm. time. They were really slow, and sugars. There was sugars, and there was JRs, and and all those clubs that were uh, beating the pants off of the Keg. And uh, I was the uh, the vice president of Kappa Alpha fraternity and and social chairman, and so I threw all the parties. Old South chairman and. And so uh, they called a meeting and asked me what was wrong with the kegs. And so I walked in, and I didn't realize the meeting was going to have a bunch of stiffs with suit and, uh, you know, three-piece suits on. I walk in with uh, my shorts and half-cut-off shirt and hat backwards. I just come from Red's. And uh, I told them what was wrong and what they could do to correct it. And uh, all his managers from his other locations, like Patrons and the Landing and Everywhere else that he had, they uh, they all uh, he asked them to step out the room, and he offered me a job right there, Ken Gilbo. So I was going to say, so that was Ken Gilbo and the keg. I, if was it coincidence that his, his middle initial was E, and he was Ken E Gilbo? Yeah, well, he always said that uh, that, but his actually um, middle name because every time we wrote checks, it was to KJ G Investment. So, mm-hmm. um, but it, I, I I still I I don't know if I ever confirmed it with him, so. Uh, that was the the word that K E G was Kenneth E Gilbo. So this is 1983, somewhere in there. No, actually, that's uh, yeah, yeah, by 1983. All right, 80, uh, or, or 84, actually. Well, that's when uh, I stumbled in. Was 1984? So that makes sense because by the time I got to USL in the fall of '84, the keg was hopping. I mean, the strip was insanity. But there was so much more to the nightclub scene in Lafayette than just the Strip. No, no, that um, they had those clubs on Johnson Street, um, JRs and Celebrities and Esprits, and uh, there was a Johnson Street Music Hall. There mm-hmm. was uh, Mary. Uh, uh, there was Sue Ellen's. There was, uh, you know, it, it it actually there was so many. It was about every six months you would see a new club over there at 2008 Johnson Street, and um, so. You know that was that was the gist of the the nightclub 
area was really centered. It was kind of divided by the Vermilion River. You had Maximilian's and these clubs on the, this side of town, on the, uh, that one side of town. And then you had, you know, the Strip, and then you had, uh, uh, you know, the Johnson Street bars on the other side of town, uh, of the river. And eventually you end up with, with spritz and signatures. We'll get there in a minute, a little bit farther down Johnston. But so so when I get there, it's the Swamp Fox has become Shanahan's and became the Swamp Fox for people who, who remember was a pretty rough bar. I mean, it was a rock bar, biker bar, I guess people, you know, told me. But by the time I got there in 84, it had Tim Shanahan had taken over and and Brett Davis was running it. And, and so you had Shanahan's was a – if you were a rocker, if you liked Rush and Led Zeppelin and, Le- and Leonard Skinner, that's where you went. You had Andy Jacks next door. Then Sugars had or, or was in the process, I guess, of of changing to Mako's somewhere in that window. But every bar, whether it was the Caboose or I guess Instant Replay was the one down McKinley Street Pub down a block or so away, every bar had its own crowd and had a crowd basically every night. Yeah, and and you know, of course, we didn't have the you know the competition that you have today. They didn't have a bar at every restaurant, mm-hmm. and it wasn't every, everywhere you turn a restaurant. But yeah, it, it so every bar exactly right had its own clientele. So you know Shanahan's and and I always say this about the the, the bar business is that you're kind of you're lucky in the sense that it's the music that is available, and so you had that uh, rush. And, and all that style music, and that's what made, you know, Shanahan's. And, and uh, Brett Davis was a fixture over there. He was the, the, the man that did everything uh, that made it in the beginning, and, and then uh, they had somebody else come on. But uh, Brett, you know, started that Dollar Heineken on Wednesday nights, and, man, that just took off from there. We uh, that's, it, what, that's what built Wednesday nights, was starting with Shanahan's, Brett Davis starting that Dollar Heineken. And so, yeah, you, you found some feature, some special to make a ho-hum night like a Monday or a Tuesday. You know, you had drinking with Lincoln or whatever, and all of a sudden you've got a crowd every, basically every night of the week at one or more of the bars. And I found that, that back in that era, a lot of people frequented the bars and went to more than one. I mean, I was at Mako's one night with friends who liked dance music, and then I was at you know, the caboose to, to drink paps or whatever with friends or to play Cadillac down at the pub or whatever. Everybody kind of went back and forth to different places. You probably had one bar that you considered like your your home base. For me, it was Shanahan's. I DJed there for a couple of years, worked with Brett, learned a lot about, about the nightclub scene in Lafayette, but I could not agree more that the music was the key. And if you had a unique style of music or, and I'm not patting the DJs on the back, but if you had a a DJ that was real popular, like, you know, like John Forche and Super Dave were at Mako's at one point, if you, if you had that, you could draw a crowd and it's, and at Shanahan's, we had the, the rock crowd, but then Hans Peckhouse takes over, I guess Andy Jacks was next door, turns it into nightcaps. And there's this whole other genre of music that's kind of almost underground that a lot of us would never have known without nightcaps, and he creates a whole nother environment on the strip. Yeah, Hans did a great job. And in fact, it was, uh, it was, I guess everybody called it uh, that weird music. Actually, he was ahead of his time with that music. So, uh, you know, Super Dave and John Forte, they were, they had, um, you know, all that, um, I guess, 
you know, we call it ecstasy music. Uh, <laughs> For lack that, of a freestyle, just, uh, uh, techno, the Miami sound, all that stuff. That is correct. All that, and then you know, and it was funny because uh, it took a while for the music that uh, Hans was playing over there, uh, and Judd and everybody of that nature over there at Nightcast for it to catch on. But eventually, it caught on, and it, and it was really now it's cool. Yeah, Judd Kennedy, boy, what a what a great DJ. And again, they they understood the crowd, they understood the music. They sought out the music, and, and I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, we're, by the way, we're visiting with, with uh, George Favalora now of Nighttown, and we'll get to Nighttown eventually in this story, but but George has a has different paths crossed throughout the, the years for, with the music and, and the nightclub scene, both with, uh, with adult bars and also teen clubs, and we'll get to that too, but George is, is visiting about what it was like to go out in Lafayette in the 1980s, and and. So you you had all this all this stuff happening on the strip. So you could never be bored if you went to the strip. If you had friends in different walks of life, you were going to have a group basically at every bar. Well, let's go meet the so and so people at at the caboose and listen to James Taylor music or whatever. I mean, you you had all of that, but there was a a thing that I as far as I know was unique unique to Lafayette that I've never seen anywhere else and it was that kamikaze bus. Had you ever seen anything like that before? <laughs> No, and I, I think that's so funny. That was a creation that uh, uh, our, our competitors had started, and uh, it was one of those things because the, the owners of Sugars and the owners of, uh, I guess it was maybe a spree at the time, maybe celebrities. So what was happening is for to get people to both places, he hired a school bus, of mm-hmm. all things, because uh, we didn't have these party buses that we have today. So, and so, you know, you'd have to pay to get on the bus, but they would give you a free shot of kamikazes, you know, to, uh, to pay. So, if it, you know, they had to pay the bus driver. So, to pay the bus driver, you had to pay to get on, but to uh, entice you to get pay to get on, you get a free shot, shot of kamikazes, so they called it the kamikaze bus. Something that... Uh, uh, it, it was it was fun. It was hilarious, but I don't think they would allow it today. No, well, that's what I was going to say. Of course, it was Uber before Uber existed. I mean, we you you avoid you weren't drinking and driving, and you could go from the strip to I, I, it was probably a spree at that point, or or so maybe celebrities and then a spree. But but I remember doing that and thinking this is the greatest invention since sliced bread because you got on the bus, you didn't drink and drive, they gave you a shot when you got on it, and if you were nice, they'd give you a shot when you got off. So about every half hour, 45 minutes, they give you a wristband. We'd get back on, we'd ride back the other way and kind of make that circuit for a few hours during the night, and all of a sudden we were full of kamikazes and ready to go to the keg and drink some beer. You know, It was just kind of what what nightlife was like in Lafayette. Now, this is this is mid to late 80s. This is probably 85 eight to 87 or 88 somewhere in there that was that was that was would have been from 85 to 86 okay uh, uh, a little before 87 and because um, they had cut the uh, bus out they, I don't know why they and, you know I don't know the story behind it but uh, and, and remember the drinking age back then was 18 yes sir so they didn't you didn't have to worry about the uh, you know, you just had to make sure people were above the age of 18. And so, um, you know, with that Kamikaze bus, too, I mean, some people could just park their car and ride the bus and not even get their ID checked, you know. So, oh, yeah. Um, they could just ride around going from uh, Johnson Street to uh, 
uh, to the strip. So eventually that got, uh, I mean, uh, that was really uh, basically from 80, uh, 84, 80, uh, the spring of 85 to about the fall of uh, 87. So that that's happening, and also we we got to mention, and and you did talk about the bars on the other side of town. You had you know you had Maximilians at the at the Hilton, and you had Bonnie and Clyde's, but you had poets, and that was a big deal too. Now it was a little bit of an older crowd than who was at the Strip, but that was also a significant part of the Lafayette nightlife for for a, quite a while, not just Tuesdays but weekends as well. So you had all of these things happening that would really never be able to function. In the era that we have today, the drinking age changed. The enforcement of drinking and driving became so much more serious. I mean, with not just not just you know the checks, the random checks they do, the you know the 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 what do you call them, the uh, checkpoints, but but it became more of a focus. I mean, I remember growing up and being you know high school, New Iberia. If if you were drinking and driving and nobody was hurt and they pulled you over, they call your parents to get you or they let your buddy drive you home. I mean, those days ended probably as we got into the 90s it became a, a, a little bit of a different environment when the drinking age changed yeah if i recall right the, the drinking age changed around 93 and 94 uh if you recall the louisiana was the last state to raise it we held uh, on for dear life yeah and it, it, it was raised and then uh it was it went to court and for a little while it went back to 18 and then it was um, that was overturned again, and then it's been 21 ever since. Yeah, and it, it you know you, I try to explain to my sons this this whole what it was like, and they look at me like I'm out of my mind, and I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like, the, it was we went to class sometimes, but it was nonstop. Every night there was something to do if you wanted to do something, and and if you were a USL student, especially if you lived on campus, it was a walking distance deal. So you didn't even ever really have to drink and drive if you lived on campus. No, no, no. And, and you know, you brought up poets, and then and, and you got to remember Scandals. Oh, yeah. Was, uh, over there at the Hotel Acadiana, and Scandals is, uh, has come back, and it's still open today. And, and uh, you know, so you had, again, you had, like, the older crowd, and they say older. Um, Mid-20s, probably, 18, right? If you were 18, 19, 20, 21, you were on the strip. And then if you were 22 and above, you were too old to be on the strip. So uh, that's where that's where Poets was on Tuesday nights. Wednesday night was Ladies' Night at Scandals. Um, and then, you know, it was just something every night to do. And Poets' party started at 5 o'clock. You know, the minute you can get off of work and get to Tenacious Tuesday, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that was just a whole lot of fun. Uh uh, Chris over there was, uh, was, you know, was great to deal with and everything, and you know, just he was really on top of his game uh, over there at Poets. You know, we were we a lot of the a lot of the DJs at the time at the at the radio stations here. We we would you know we would work at the bars to make extra money. Um, of course, I, I kind of wanted just that whole lifestyle. To be honest, I wasn't really worried about the forty bucks I got. I just I wanted to kind of be part of the scene, and I wasn't going to ever really be a bartender. Though I, I did get a bar card and do a little bit of that. It was really about being just part of the scene, and and the scene was dominant. It was, and again, you had the fraternities that at that time were finally starting to get their own. 
you know, houses on Fraternity Row and the sororities that had their houses as just meeting houses. And all of that was starting to change, too. And it was removed from campus because I remember being, you know, in SAE and our 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 house at the time was was at the corner of, oh, I don't know, it's it was right next to Louvier's Plate Lunch Place, if you remember. So, I mean, literally, with yeah, we were on the same block as Shanahan's. Yeah, uh, you talk about the Louviers. I put on twenty pounds because of those guys. Oh my God, I can't yeah. lose them. They, I they still were, have them. <laughs> they were the they were the the first that I can remember place that had plate lunches. Mm-hmm. Now you can go there, or you can go down uh, to Como's and get you some Boudin Burger and Boudin Paul Boys. But oh, those plate lunches were just so good. Now we're getting off to a whole different. Yeah, place. that's that might be another podcast for another day. But so. <laughs> So you had you had all of this happening, and, and and we did touch on the music scene. So at the time, I'm, I'm obviously at a different radio station. Things have changed a lot since since then. But we were we were very influential, I guess, in the in the in the radio world for for music. But we were influenced, whether anybody will will admit it or not. I will, and I was a music director there for four years. We were influenced by the club scene here, and we also spent some time going to say Avalon in Houston or Neo Beach in New Orleans. We though we were out partying, we were looking for the next big thing to bring back here. But you guys at the bars and this is going to be where you shift to a whole nother dimension with what happened on the Johnston Street address when the the bar business closed. You and and Todd French did something I don't think anybody foresaw. You opened a teen club that became an incredible influence on the dance scene music in Lafayette. Oh yeah, look, uh, you know, we had, uh, we were working at the keg at the time. It was, this would have been the, um, you know, uh, I worked, I was at the keg until the, the May of 87. Uh, and then, you know, we spent Todd and I spent the summer Todd and moved to Destin. And so I spent a lot of time in Destin just hanging out and everything. And then when we came back, you know, Colors at 2008 Johnson Street. That was it. Had already been a few teen clubs already. And, yeah, Planetarium. Uh, if I'm, is that right? Uh, there was the Planetarium, and then there was a there was another one that that name slips me right now. But the Planetarium was the first one, mm-hmm. and actually that was you know the uh, I Touch Roses era. Um, they had uh, they they really did a good job. But when it came to us, you know, ready to open colors, we said, okay, let's take what they did and make it better. And so the biggest complaint they had was that, uh, it, it, you know, it opened up pretty big, and then it was all full of young kids. So that's when we decided, okay, it's going to be a high school nightclub. You've got to have a high school ID to get in. Mm-hmm. So that was the difference, number one. You know, we said, okay, it's just going to be for high school, you know, and you got to show your ID. Not every school had an ID at that time. So some of them would call freaking out because they wanted to get in colors. But that was it. You know, uh, that was one of the main key uh, ingredients to make sure we kept the older, like, uh, older kids that were teenagers into this young adult club, as we called it. And, um, yeah, Todd French and I, uh, Todd's sister, Kathy, was a cheerleader for Laughing High. So we hired all these Laughing High cheerleaders, and uh, it just it took off like you know what. Yeah, it was, and, uh, it was crazy. And, 
And then, you know, the great thing was, was that, you know, we had this big stage that we, we actually had to open up a few things and, and go into some expense because we said, okay, we've got these shows now we can bring in here. And, uh, but, you know, going back a little bit, the difference between colors or the difference with colors was the fact that the music we were playing had not hit mainstream radio yet. Right. And, and so we were, what we were playing, uh, you know, Buffy, Buffy did a wonderful job. Buffy did, it was Buffy in the mix. And so he had actually other DJs from other clubs come in and hang out with him just so they could see what were the hot songs right. that we were playing in colors. And because they were not up, up to date. Now, I mean, we had Super Dave and, and John Forche, John and Buffy were best of friends and, and, uh, Andre from Club Spritz. Uh, he would come by and, and, you know, they all had their own little kind of group of DJs that, uh, you know, we just started, uh, bringing this, uh, new style of music called rap music to colors. And, uh, you know, for a while we were taking some heat. In fact, we were even told by, uh, a police major that if we didn't, uh, stop playing rap music that they were going to shut me down. And I said, well, you can't shut me down. You have no, <laughs> you have no recourse to shut me down. Right. And he's like, well, we can. Dave Dodd to tell me that, yeah, well, then we, we're not going to renew your CO, which is Certificate of Occupancy. And I thought, well, you can't do that either because you only get it one time, and once you get it, you get it. Right. <laughs> so they were trying uh, to do stuff like that, or they were getting complaints at the same time when you had two live crew over there in Miami come out with that nasty as a, uh, as a wannabe, I think it was, or um, got the name of the song. So... Uh, I named it the album, and they were getting some heat. So it actually, as with a lot of things like that, when you start to uh, tell people you can't do something, oh, well, yeah. that just ignited a firestorm of people wanting more of it. Yeah, that, well, that, and we, there were some some two live crew incidents that happened in Acadiana that, that are legendary now, but that was probably a little bit later on down the road. So, so colors is here and Buffy was amazing. I learned so much about music from Buffy and, and we would talk too. I was, I would hang out there in the DJ booth. As you know, I would MC shows or whatever and just kind of hang out because it was, it was a great place to be. I was a little bit older, but, but it was the music scene. And, and as the music director down the dial, it, it, seeing the kids react, it was easy to go back and say, we got to play this song. You know, we, we got to play this song. So Colors is happening, but down Johnston Street, where America's favorite bar had been on the backside of that shopping center and never really quite took off, you had a management change, ownership, ownership change, and a name change, and all of a sudden you've got this little area back there now across from Target. You've got signatures and spritz, and I remember on more than one occasion a teen show at Colors with an artist that would play later that night at one of those bars. And it, it was, again, something that Lafayette had that a lot of other cities did not. Yeah, well, we let that happen, I think, once. Uh, after that, we said, okay, no, we're not going to let you. We were, and Colors was uh, only going to allow the, the places to play at Colors because, you know, we would draw. It was an all-ages event. So, I mean, we were drawing in upwards of 2,000 people. And, um, you know, in the in the Early on, there was only these groups like KJ and the Fellas, Danny D and DJ Wiz, you know, Kuiper. Uh, then, you know, Stevie came along. Uh, so, you know, Stevie, the, the, the fun thing about Stevie was the fact that he, uh, he was the, the, one of the only 
four, two touring bands that was an actual band. Right. So people people were also trying to understand this thing called the track act when you were basically playing off of a DAT machine or your CD, and that uh, the CD was just starting to come in, come onto the scene. So Stevie came in as a full live band, and um, and you know we kind of laughed at that story. Remember that we we've talked over, over the years when the program director director of the only station that would be playing Stevie B would not allow a uh, interview because that's not their music. Mm-hmm. And then after two sold out shows, it became their music. And this will conclude part one of this two part podcast with George Favalora, George of the keg and strip fame and also who brought us colors we're kind of in the infancy of the colors music scene days right now and we'll conclude with part two of this interview with george favalor next week it is the fast podcast thanks for listening